Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. You know, sometimes I come on these podcasts and I complain about how my children have given me some sort of crud, whatever it is, cold, flu. Well, it's the wife this time. You can blame Jess, Dr. Bespris, as we call her in this household. Gave me a cold. My voice isn't the same. We're toughing it out. Not going to break the streak for that nonsense. I feel okay. Hanging in there. Got some Tylenol in the system. Probably will need a lozenge at the end of this podcast. But for that reason, we'll probably keep this one a little bit less meandering. With apologies in advance, if you hear me uh, breathing heavily, since it's not... uh, Air is not going through the nose the way it normally does, but uh, we'll do our best here. This is one of those days where I regret having a very good microphone. This would be a lovely day to have sort of a, uh, you know, a a earbud or something that I'm doing this show on from 12 feet away. You wouldn't hear any of that stuff. Today, you're going to hear all of it. Godspeed. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. A Sports Ethos presentation. Every once in a while, I have to stop myself to make sure I don't say hoop ball. I am Dan Bespris, slightly under the weather Dan Bespris today, and we are on to the Southwest Division, which I personally believe is the toughest division in all of season win total handicapping. You have two teams that were in full-on unadulterated tank mode last year with significantly higher season win total numbers. You have a Mavs team that gave up with a week to go. They said, we don't actually need the play-in tournament. We're going to try to move up to like the 11th pick or whatever it turned out to be instead of 15 or something like that. And they are presumably going to try to win at least at the beginning of the year, and they re-signed Kyrie Irving. You've got just... I mean, that's just the Dallas subplots. you got Memphis without Ja for the first 25 games of the year. Oh, it's a scene, man. And then you got the Pels, where everything you're doing right now is related to health. So let's dive in. I think these are ordered uh, in order of how the season win totals were last year. And believe it or not, they're actually in the same order this season. Top club is the Grizzlies. Season win total of 45 and a half. And I feel like I'm going to regret uh, the following. But I actually lean towards the over, believe it or not. Why? I don't know. (laughs) No, that's not true. I, I definitely do know. The reason why is that I think there's been an overreaction to what has been, frankly, an ugly stretch for the Grizzlies. They were incredible at home this season, not very good on the road, got taken to school by the Lakers in the playoffs. Everybody's like, oh, the Lakers, they want the Grizzlies, and then the Grizzlies talked a lot of crap, and that's kind of been their MO lately, and then they got it stuffed right down the old gullet. Overall, if you look back at this most recent season, the Grizzlies got to 51 games in a year where I actually didn't think all that many things went right for Memphis. 
For one, John Morant missed 21 games this year without a 25-game suspension. Now, he'll miss the 25 games plus whatever he misses due to just jaw being jaw in terms of how often he gets hurt, which, by the way, relatively often. But they also missed Desmond Bain for about a third of the season. He missed 24 ball games this year. And this is a big one that's going to get overlooked. Steven Adams missed 40 games this year. I know from a fantasy standpoint, he's a nothing, unless you're punting free throws, like, hard. I guess that's really it. If you're punting free throws, he becomes uh, a thing. But, you know, we usually talk 9-cat on here. For what Memphis likes to do, Steven Adams is colossal. His screen setting, his rebounding ability, when teams key in on, well, specifically John Moran. Now, I know he miss, he's missing 25 games, but when teams key in on other stuff, whatever action Memphis is running, it's Adams that punishes them by knocking three dudes out of the way and getting the offensive rebound, you get these extra possessions. When he went down, the Grizzlies simply didn't have that dimension anymore. Brandon Clark, decent rebounder, but nowhere near Steven Adams' level, and then he got hurt. Xavier Tillman stepped in, and he's, like, third now on the pecking order. And it just, like, down the list you go, there wasn't an option. There wasn't a guy that could step in and set the screens that Adams did and punish teams the way Adams did around the bucket. I don't care that he has no offensive ability. He doesn't need it. His buckets are going to come by cleaning up stuff. And there's a lot of stuff. Now, the problems for the Grizzlies, in addition to the John Moran suspension, they are not limited to just that. They also lost Dylan Brooks, who, you know, mixed the good with the bad. Defensively, he brought a lot to that team. He wasn't nearly as good as he thinks he is. He's getting paid like he thinks he's that good by Houston, but defensively, he did make them significantly better. Tyus Jones, as the backup point guard, also gone, so there isn't that obvious immediate substitute for John Morant, and it's going to have to be Marcus Smart, who they brought in, and he's going to have to kind of figure things out. So there'll be a little bit of a learning curve with this Grizzlies team, but in terms of like, how did they do? They, like, they're fine without John Morant. They're still a decent ball club. Jaron Jackson Jr. starts the year healthy. He's coming off in a, a career season, and he'll be asked to do more. Desmond Bain was not healthy this year. He'll be asked to do more. There's a little bit of an addition by subtraction thing here, so you, I know you're losing Dylan Brooks, but Luke Kennard, who may be the most efficient player in the entire NBA can step in and get a few more three-pointers out of all of this stuff. They're also trying to bring in a couple of older guys who aren't going to play a ton, but can at least try to keep the ship from floating out to harbor, which is what's been happening with this Memphis team, a, a distinct lack of accountability because the guy that they had tabbed with leading their team is going through all kinds of his own stuff. They're going to need JJJ and Bain to take that leadership mantle, and the Grizzlies will be better for it. So as much as all of the news on Memphis has been negative, I don't think they take that large of a step back. A couple of games, maybe. The jaw suspension is probably what you can put that on. But overall, I don't think that you see a vast change for this club and it's likely why 
the opening number hasn't really moved at all. So yes, it felt a little bit looking at it like you're getting suckered into it, but I'm going to go Grizzlies over. We're running out of wins to get, by the way, in the Western Conference. There are too many solid teams. A 45.5 is not that crazy difficult a number to get over. I figured the Grizzlies would take a step back this year. They did. Not quite as far back as I expected, but they were down, what, like four or five wins? I, I don't think that that's another... I Even if they take another four or five win step back, they still clear this mark. And they just go hard all the time. So, we'll go over. There might not be a team that I understand more poorly than the Dallas Mavericks, who have the exact same season win total mark as the Grizzlies of 45 and a half. What I will say about Dallas is that I don't trust the mix. Some of that is Luka, who's incredible, but... If you're not a rim-running big, not the easiest player to play with because you know you're, you know you're going to get scraps. Ball's in his hands almost every single time. Kyrie Irving had no choice, really, but to take the money that Dallas offered him because nobody else was going to give him that much, and Dallas had sort of like a sunk cost theory going on. But Kyrie's still a very good basketball player when he wants to be. But Kyrie Irving on a brand new contract is not usually Kyrie Irving who wants to be that great of a basketball player. This is Kyrie Irving, at least at the front end of new contracts. What we've seen so far is a Kyrie Irving that does whatever the hell he wants. Is that really what you want on your Mavericks team right now? A Mavs team that suddenly has like five different options to play center alongside Kyrie and Luka? I just, you know, the Mavs kind of jammed themselves into this hole here. And there isn't an obvious way out of it. I like the Grant Williams signing. It gives them a power forward that they can trust night in and night out. That's an improvement for them, but he's not a guy who's going to dramatically swing the team's win-loss record. Now, Tim Hardaway's still floating around there. He'll, he'll still make his shots every once in a while. And then it's like a ton of big men. Rashawn Holmes, Maxi Kleba, JaVale McGee, Dwight Powell, the rookie, Lively, who I don't know is officially signed yet, but he will be here in however long. They've got Josh Green, young player. Jaden Hardy's a young player. They kind of like those guys, but like, what are they really going to do when this club is healthy? I just I don't see the the vast change in this team season over season. And yeah, at the end of this past year, Dallas shut her down. They stopped trying. They went two and eight in their last ball game, so they went from thirty six and thirty six to thirty eight and forty four. But even a five hundred record wouldn't be enough for the Mavs to clear the hump. Can Luka play more than 66 games? Yeah, but maybe only by a little. Can Kyrie play more than 60? Also, maybe by a little. Kyrie's never really been a guy that's gotten near 90% of his team's game game played. He's been, even 85% has been a big stretch for him. Same story for Luka, who maybe he can stay a little healthier this year if Kyrie can take some of the burden off of him. And look, there's an awful lot of offense with those two dudes, but they struggled this year. And, look, I know Christian Wood was not, like, the answer for them, but at least he provided some sort of offense out of a big man spot. They still don't really have that situation addressed. 
just a bunch of rim runners and Kyrie and Luka and super streaky Tim Hardaway Jr. And Seth Curry will play here and there because he's an efficient floor spacer. And again, Dallas will have days where they look simply unbeatable because everything is going down on offense. And they have guys that can hit threes. And they have dudes that can score efficiently. But can they defend? Can they play together? Can they rely on their superstars to be there every day? specifically Kyrie, but also Luka gets very dinged up with the load that he puts on himself. I simply can't, in good faith, say Dallas gets that much better over a 500 club that they were last year. Now, can Luka just lift the team and carry them? Yeah, but they've just been sort of steadily getting worse of late. They keep making these harebrained decisions. They unloaded Kristaps Porzingis, I guess because of the contract situation, but then his contract ended up running out. They didn't get better before then, and they what did they do with all of this flexibility they got? They brought in a less reliable player in Kyrie Irving, who is admittedly a little better than KP, but is another guard alongside Luka. You can, I mean, if you're a Mavs person, you can yell at me until you're blue in the face. I just won't believe that these moves have ended up going in the right direction overall. I got the idea behind the Porzingis stuff. Get out from the contract. Maybe you get yourself a little flexibility to go make a move on somebody special. But when that guy was Kyrie? Odd decision. Dallas clearing 45 and a half wins is going to be tough. This is a loaded West. You're not going to be able to cakewalk your way through almost anybody. And I just don't think they're going to be all that good. I'll go under. This is the moment in the show where normally I would take about two and a half minutes to tell you guys about our friends at Caldera Lab. But again, today, with my voice weakened and my constitution poor, I will simply quickly remind you all to go check out calderalab.com. C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com. Promo code over there is ETHOS to get 20% off your order. This is for dudes, and this is for dudes skincare because we don't care for our skin. Take a moment and actually do it, and now I really need that stuff for my eyes. My eyes look absolutely atrocious today. That's called the Icon, E-Y-E-C-O-N. They've also just got the full regimen, clean slate. That's about a minute in the morning and the evening. The icon is a minute in the morning and the evening. The base layer is one minute in the morning. Less, actually. All these things are more like 30 seconds. The good is about 30 seconds at night. Take care of your face, man. Stop looking 12 years older than you are. Start looking either your age or maybe even a little bit younger. Or if you have two kids, maybe look like you only have one. Oh, those are the days. Ethos is the code. 20% off over at calderalab.com. Please take a moment to check out our new sponsors. And again, as always, shout out to my buddy Dom over at Caldera Lab for reaching out and helping set this up with us here on Fantasy NBA Today. Keep moving down the board to the Pelicans. We're not at the uh, the tank clubs from last year just yet. This is a really tough one. The Pels number is 43 and a half. Every fiber of my being says, don't trust this team to stay even the tiniest bit healthy. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. 
You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. And my being is most likely right. But I also can't help it. I can't help it, guys. I'm going public as hell on this one. And I'm taking the Pelicans over. And it's just because I feel like, you know, Zion is is obviously the thing for this team. Uh, there's all this other stuff you can you can go into all the the players and the and the the development and blah 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 blah. The Pelicans go as Zion goes. Zion hurt himself on January the second. That was the injury that cooked him for the rest of the year. And when he got hurt, I believe the Pels had either the best or the second best record in the West. They were, here, I will count it up while we're doing it on air. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They had 12 losses while well, Zion was in the lineup. What, was he, what did we say, 29 games? So he was 17 and 12 while Zion was in there. Five games over 500 with him. Three games under 500 without him. Pretty amazing. You can't say he's worth eight wins. Or maybe you can. The Pels were were beating teams up pretty good, too, with Zion in there. Like, they, they looked strong. They were beating good teams also. They beat Denver in there. Beat Phoenix twice with Zion. He's there everything. If he's healthy, the Pels should be able to get above the play-in tournament. And if he's not, I don't know that they even make the play-in tournament. So this wager, the season win total look on New Orleans. By the way, uh, I should mention the teams that we've been talking about so far. uh, I don't know that any of them has the amount of value you're really looking for. This one really doesn't. Because... You are exclusively betting on the health of a guy who's never been healthy. Which means you should probably just fade it. But the Pels got 42 wins this year, with Zion only playing 29 ball games for them. You figure, based on what we saw, that they were winning whatever it was, like 60-65% to 65% of their games with Zion, that if he even played, like, 40, get him to half of a season, they clear this number with ease. Because their win percentage dropped so substantially. 17 and 12. I mean, they were like 
They were a legitimately good team to start the year. And then they went, what, 25 and 28 the rest of the way? What is that, about a 45% clip? 25 out of 53? We'll do that math real fast. 47% versus 17 out of 29. That's 59. So they're 12, 13% better as a ball club with Zion in the lineup. It also didn't hurt that they ended up getting Brandon Ingram back later on in the season, but he only played 46 games too. The Pels got to 42 wins this year with their two most important players combining to play less than a full season. Those two guys got to 75 games together. 75! So I'm not even asking for much. I'm asking for, like, 100 out of those two guys. However you get me there. 50 and 50, Ingram goes 55, Zion goes 45. Get me to 100 games between Ingram and Zion, and the Pels should clear this number. If they don't, they don't. That's it. That's all it comes down to. Because the rest of the roster didn't really have much of a shakeup. They got young guys like Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels that they're pretty happy about. Uh, Nance is still there. They extended Jones. JV's still there. McCollum's still there. The backbone, the skeleton of this team remains the same. But the heart and the lungs, they got to be working. Or the club's going to be a low play-in team. And probably worse this year. Because if they go through more Zion and Ingram injury stuff, I don't think the other guys are going to have the patience to try to fight through it the way that they did this year, or tried to do this year. I can't believe I'm going over on this one. I feel sick to my stomach doing it, but uh, that's what I'm doing. Rockets, 31.5 is the number. Look, I'll start my Rockets discussion by saying I actually think that this number is very, very close. I think that they finished between 30 and 34 wins this year. So if you were just, like, this is a coin flip in my eyes. You are banking on a couple things shaking out. And I guess looking at Orlando from last year as a good example of a team that stopped actively trying to lose basketball games started to play, I don't want to say with a purpose necessarily, but just like let the talent fly. In a way where with Houston, it didn't look like they were really trying for a long stretch of the year. And maybe that was by design, or maybe it's because they really truly were that horrible. But Houston was, in my eyes, the hardest team to watch in the NBA this past season. They were... Just so bad, non-competitive in a lot of their basketball games. And Ime Udoka is not going to stand for that. Just trying night to night is going to probably get them five more wins. So that gets you from 22 to 27. Does the personnel get them another five? My honest, true answer to that question is, I have no idea. I don't. Houston's not a team I'm betting on this year. Or season win totals, I guess I should say. Because I just don't know. Freddie Van Vliet, obviously a big upgrade for them. Veteran leadership. Dylan Brooks comes in. They finally got a couple of guys that can try a little bit on the defensive side. They got a competent backup to Alper and Shengun. So when he's a sieve, 
he'll get yanked. It's not just, and, and he got yanked a bit this year, but there wasn't anybody to back him up. Jabari Smith Jr. looked a lot better during Summer League. Perhaps he's turned a little bit of a corner. Has Jalen Green improved in his efficiency at all? Will Kevin Porter Jr. slide into a scoring backup role with this team, and does that actually work? Look, make no mistake, the Rockets are better. I don't know if the personnel adjustments are enough for another five wins in a very tough West. The thing you're hoping for, I think, if you're betting the over with the Rockets, is that teams treat them like the tanking Rockets of the last couple of years, and Houston gets off to something like an 8-8 eight and eight start. And then you're like, okay, well, great. Now we only need 24 wins the rest of the way, and we're good to go. Terrific. Like, knock out a chunk of these wins early, and then you're not scraping for them at the end when the Rockets are likely not competing for a play-in spot, and there won't be quite the impetus to run their guys into the ground late. So that's a big fear for me, is that the Rockets are still a year, maybe at least, away from trying, like, really competing for a play-in spot, but mentally, they're going to come into the season competing for a play-in spot. When everybody is 0-0, zero and zero, and they've got leadership now in there, and they brought in veterans that, yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to take the ridiculous amount of money the Rockets threw at them, but they didn't come there to lose. So Van Vliet's going to be trying hard. Dylan Brooks is going to be trying hard. They're going to get the young guys to try hard. There are backup options that may not have existed in the past. I think if I had to, like the expression gun to my head, I hate that expression, but gun to a head, I'm probably staying under with this team. I think they finish probably around 30-31, which gets it very close to the number, but getting to 32 is pretty tough. Uh, Portland got there, uh, but, you know, they had Dame, and they had, like, a lot of actual veterans on that team, and they barely got there before they shut it all down. 32 wins is still a lot in the West. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's still a lot. So, you know, call it 51% to the under, 49% to the over. This is one that I'm not touching with a 4,000-foot pole. But if they can sort of follow in that Orlando Magic footstep, that's how they get there. And the last one in the Southwest Division, and maybe the one that I feel the strongest about in the Southwest Division, and that's the San Antonio Spurs under 30 and a half. I feel like I'm very much going against consensus on this one because the Spurs now have Victor Wembanyama. And that line got moved a long way. Now, there's a lot of things that sort of bash into each other in this one. You've got Greg Popovich, who's both one of the best coaches of all time, but also a head coach who understands that you don't skip steps. This is a step year for the Spurs. We are no longer in full tank mode, but we have a lot of young guys, and there's no point in killing them to miss a play-in by seven games. Because that's where they'd be if Pop gets this team to, like, 32-33 wins. They will run their guys into the ground to miss a play-in by seven games. <laughs> or more. I think the West might even be tougher this coming year. That's a tough sell. So, is it the Popovich, I'm one of the best coaches ever effect? Or is it the Popovich... Everybody ease off the throttle a little bit. There's no reason for us to kill ourselves this year. While we're just getting a guy like Wembanyama used to the NBA, 
big, long, lean kid who, you know, he deflected questions about putting on weight. He's going to have to get stronger. His size is amazing, but, and it's not about just like being, th- and someone's like, I think, I forget what radio station I was listening to, but one of them was like, well, they, they all told Kelvin Durant that he needed to get thicker to compete in the NBA. Kevin Durant never really got thicker, but he did sort of fill into his frame, and he's built differently than Wembenyama, who's taller, by the way, but KD also, he has a certain uh, quickness to him that Victor's more of the long type, if that makes any sense. You watch them both play, you'll see the, the very marked difference between what they are on a basketball court. Well, Miyama's shot selection is weird. There's a lot to teach him with that. This is going to be the first time that he truly plays with a club where he's not the obvious best player on the court at all times. That's a learning curve. Spurs have a bunch of other young guys mixed in there. Trey Jones is still pretty young. Devin Vestel is still pretty darn young. Sohan's still young. Zach Collins is the old guy. He'll be... Uh, helping steer the ship a little bit. They just traded for campaign to try to just keep things in check. So, yeah, I mean, they're not going to intentionally lose games the way that they did this year. So that's going to be a path to a, a few additional wins. But I just don't think the Spurs... I, I think they have one more year of semi-tanking before they really start to push to that next level. This is an opportunity, from a storyline standpoint, internally in San Antonio, to tell your team, this is a growing year. We're all going to get better together. Let's compete. Let's win a few more games than we did the year before. We're not championship ready. We've got some young guys that still need to learn the speed of the NBA. Let's make sure that Victor's settles in with confidence, good spots, kind of, you know, think about it from a baseball standpoint, like using guys in advantageous positions, There will be a lot of learning on the fly for him, but there's going to be some learning not on the fly as well. While externally, optically, the Spurs can present this year as, hey, we just got the best player maybe in a generation, and y'all are going to get to see him. And if we lose some games, who gives a crap? So let's, you know, let's go uh, 30 and 52, or let's go 28 and 54. And we're not trying to lose games intentionally, but we're going to get another good pick out of it throw one more young dude in the mix, give Wembenyama this year, one full calendar year, to get NBA speed ready. More than size, NBA speed ready. And next year, we'll do the OKC jump. If I have my druthers, and I don't know if we'll make a play on this Spurs win total, but I do kind of like that under a decent amount. I might instead set myself up here and say, I hope the Spurs stay under. I guess we could put like a quarter unit on or something like that if if we end up doing a a little baby size play. I hope that the Spurs stay under so that the number for the Spurs stays low and we can bet the over next year. I think the Spurs next year are actually going to be, so that'd be the 2024 season. I think they'll be pretty good in 2024. But we need them to stay not as good this season so that next year we can play an over and make it a bigger one, if that makes any sense. It might. It did in my head. But I'm addled. My drug-addled brain here. Anyway, 
that's where we're going to leave things today. I don't know if I'm going to feel better or worse tomorrow, but uh, I'm hoping that scheduling-wise, and I think it will, we're going to get to talk to Mike Fiddle and Keith Cork on tomorrow's show. So we may or may not cover the next division. We might just get into who those two dudes like the most from these boards and why. And uh, probably they'll disagree with me on a couple because there are a few in here where I'm like, barf on air. Uh, but again, that's why these, this is an exercise for me. I'm not playing all 30 of these teams. I'm just making a, a I'm taking a lean at least on all 30. And then at the end of this, we'll talk about which ones we like the most once we get around to it. Although you can probably hear it as I'm going through this stuff too. What sort of gets the juices flowing, what tickles me. Than, more than some of the others. All right, voice is starting to hurt. I'm Dan Baspris on Twitter, on threads, in real life. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Thanks for checking in, everybody. We'll get back at you tomorrow. Finish up another week here on the pod. So long for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.